Yesterday I told you about loyalty oaths and Francis's use of moles in the parishes and dioceses to enforce his edict against the Latin Mass. And tomorrow I have for you uh, some interesting news on the Pacamama front, unless something major happens that delays that story. You don't want to miss that. But today I have some odd confirmation that, in fact, it really does look like the powers that be think that podcasters and YouTubers are the reason so many Catholics are waking up to the rotten fruits of Vatican II and the New Mass. A lot of these people apparently really, really believe guys like Taylor Marshall, Michael Matt, and, well, me, I guess, are to uh, blame for this or deserve credit for it. This is, frankly, amazing to me, so let's have a look at this story because it's borderline ridiculous, and, frankly, I still don't believe it, but I think there might be a kernel of truth to it. A friend online brought this to my attention. It was believable when I saw it, and I wouldn't have seen it if it wasn't for these screenshots because the person in question actually has me blocked on Twitter. That didn't stop me. I opened up an incognito window and found his Twitter account and got some, you know, got links so you can look at these for yourself over on my show notes at returntotradition.org. It's the name of this channel or podcast with a .org at the end. You can find all my show notes over there. Now, these screenshots that you're about to see are from the Twitter account of professional Francis fanfiction writer Austin Ivray who probably doesn't like that I have dubbed him a professional Francis fanfiction writer and has blocked me as a consequence, despite the fact that I actually highly recommend a book by him if you want to understand Francis and his pontificate, and I'll get to his book more in a moment. At first I laughed when I saw this, but now I think there might be something to it, at least in part. Here's the scenario I want you to go over your in mind. It's really the only way to have this be plausible. Imagine you're a bishop already widely distrusted and disliked by a small but extremely organized, passionate, and vocal group whose critics are gaining traction throughout the church. Now imagine, you dislike Pope Francis, but have played the loyal party man to curry favor while he was popular. What better way to insulate yourself from criticism and redirect your critics toward another enemy than to go to the Pope in private, stoke his paranoia against the trads who also don't like him, then, when he drops the hammer, act surprised and show leniency and mercy in the full spirit of Vatican II, while suggestively poo-pooing the irrational actions to which you yourself provoked him. This is actually quite brilliant, if it's true, which I don't necessarily think it is, but it's a thought experiment. I'm not at all convinced this is the case, but it's interesting food for thought, and it may actually be true. But here are the screenshots in question. According to Austin Ivoray, the professional Francis fanfiction writer, while I was on retreat, received this from a U.S. bishop. This has not yet come out. The survey that led to hashtag traditionis custodis was prompted by U.S. bishops, including, insert secular term for non-innovator here, type bishops, during their ad limina visits, who asked Francis to act pro-Vatican II and church unity. Now, before I read to you the actual rest of this, an ad limina visit is when the bishops meet, I think it's annually, with the Pope one-on-one -on -one for even just a few minutes. But he, it's a long-standing papal tradition going back, well, centuries really, where the bishops will meet regularly with the Pope face-to-face. -face. And so this is nothing new, in case you never heard that term before. But here is the rest of the message that he received. Most centrist bishops here were okay with a live-and-let-live approach, but the vitriolic attacks on Francis caused growing concern. The last straw for many of the uh, center, not innovative bishops was the attack on Vatican II. That pushed a lot of guys over the edge. Francis got a polite and discreet earful during some of, the, uh, of our ad limina visits. The consultation allowed guys to say what they thought. Francis responded. 
You should see some of the frothing mouths and words in some of the TLM media here. Archbishop DeNoya of the CDF, no innovator to say the least, came out pulling no punches and excoriating them. And that's all I have. Apparently it goes on more, but uh, Mr. Ivory did not bother to share that with the rest of us, which is sad. Now, at the end of the day, I don't really believe that all that much, nor should you, and here's why. First, there's no evidence that this actually happened, really. And second, and more importantly, Francis has been making moves against the traditions of the church since the moment he stepped out onto the loggia. The story of his all but annihilating the Franciscan friars they immaculate goes back to the very earliest days of his presumed pontificate. His statements against pharisaical and meanie poo-poo-headed trads goes back as long and his mocking of those who count rosary beads, to use his words, to describe the faithful who pray the rosary, go back that far as well. That's not to include Amor's Letizia, Pacamama, and the rest of it. So his animosity is on full display. Plus, there's another problem with that. The more or less reasonably orthodox bishops all know that Francis isn't going to accept their invocation of Canon 87 to ignore his motu proprio. And they know that laity will report things to Rome that they don't like that goes against the spirit of the council. It happens all the time already. Francis's history running the institutions of the church shows that he doesn't brook much dissent, that he acts swiftly to make people fall in line when he wants them to. When he wants them to is key, though. His handling of the German bishops and their synod of bishops shows that he supported it from the start and was willing to subject all of us to some magnificent theater in the process. And he came out and affirmed that their actions anyway recently, and I made a video about that if you're interested. But Francis acts quickly against those who do not respect his authority or his power. It's actually one of his more endearing traits. I just wish he used it in service to the church instead of in service to the building of the ape of the Church of Catholic Prophecy. This issue has never been Francis acting with strong authority. It has always been his being the living, breathing embodiment of the hermeneutic of rupture, the spirit of Vatican II, and the constant changes in the church that have left the church having little resemblance to the Catholic Church of our forebears. Plus, there's an easy way that these non-innovator bishops could handle all of us meanie commentators. You may have noticed that I, Dr. Marshall, Michael Matt, and pretty much every other traditional Catholic commentator don't even talk about our own specific bishops, bishops much, if at all. And there's a good reason for that. I have a hard and fast rule that unless my personal bishops do something so egregious that I have to talk about them, then I don't want to mention them at all unless it's positive or generally neutral. And that's not an accident. St. Paul talks about staying close to our bishops, and I generally take that as a rule, and it's a luxury that I have because our bishop is not one to make headlines anyway. I've mentioned my bishop twice on my channel that I remember, once to praise him for how he dealt with actual followers of Satan using secular legal tools, which was a masterstroke on his part, and I hope other bishops emulate it, and the other in a neutral and passing way. That's on purpose, really, but they could deal with us easily enough by, in writing, summoning us to a meeting with them, and then in person demanding we cease what we are doing under penalty of excommunication. Though they'd have to find some act of heresy or schism, that probably wouldn't stick under examination. But they could do that. And they haven't, and it makes you wonder why, doesn't it? Now, while I pl think the plan for bishops is still to wait out Francis, at the heart of this matter is a simple fact. The bishops cannot take a passive approach. Many of the bishops know that Francis has said things that reek of heresy, that he has taken moves on a wide variety of topics that break from the doctrines and even dogmatic stances of the church. They choose to do nothing, likely, after the dubia was utterly ignored by Francis in another clear break from the traditions of the church. Historically, popes have actually, you know, answered when presented with a dubia, and historically, it has been to affirm and clarify the dogmas and doctrines in question. Not so much with Francis. 
But that is because while his use of strong authority in the church isn't the problem, his use of that authority to break down the sacred traditions and tenets of the faith absolutely is, and the bishops largely do nothing about it. Part of that is probably because despite what Cardinal Manning or St. Robert Bellarmine might have said on the subject, at the end of the day, there isn't much precedence for the bishops to do anything about a pope like Francis. And that's kind of a big problem. And I'm betting the modernists of the council were banking on this too, that they were counting on just this reaction from the bishops when the time came for the pope that embodied the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita when he finally came about, which is what Francis clearly is. If you don't know what that is, I have that document on this channel for you to hear if you want. It's essential to understanding our time in the church, and especially the presumed pontificate of Francis the Ever-Merciful. I'll close this out by invoking the words of St. Cajetan, one of the greatest minds of the church. Quote, One must resist the Pope who openly destroys the church. Now, a lot of Sedvacantists laugh at traditional Catholics who invoke him, but St. Cajetan is right. Of course, there are numerous questions about Francis's validity as pontiff, whether he was legally chosen in the first place, if Benedict licitly stepped down, and I've left those questions to more interested commentators to discuss because I don't think that question matters that much anyway, for a few reasons. But in general, St. Cajetan is right in this case, because the wor worldview of Francis as Pope, and frankly, it is the reality we face our time. He has the power to make the lives of traditional Catholics difficult, which is, strangely enough, a kind of grace in a way. Our Lord is giving us the opportunity to become saints in all this, to pick up our crosses, carry them, and defend the truths of the faith against these modernists and their innovations. Will you continue to defend the faith? I want you to think about this while I, you know, come back to Austin Ivory for a moment. He wrote a one of the most important books to understand this pontificate, and really the state of the church in general right now, and that is the book The Great Reformer, which is a biography on Pope Francis. It's the authorized biography of Pope Francis, but you have to get a copy of the first edition. Future editions don't help you at all. The first edition, because in that book, he tells you far more than he should have let on about Francis. You get to learn about his years in Argentina, working with the regime down there. You get to learn about how he played both sides of the field and how the leadership of that country at the time's worldview really is seen through Francis. It's an astonishing book, and you should get a copy if you can find a first edition used somewhere. I recommend that book unequivocally, and I had a friend who finally took me up on finding a copy of it, read it, and was astonished at what was in there. So please, I want you to consider finding a copy of it if you're watching this on YouTube, the cover of the book is on your screen so you can find it. Now I'll ask you again, will you continue to defend the faith? Let me know in the comments, please. And I have some news coming on the Pacamama front again, so like, subscribe, and hit that bell so you miss that story when it comes, because it's not something to be missed. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.